Since times before history, we've been gathering around our fires to tell stories. Join us as we play through multiple role-playing game systems, looking for one that's the perfect fit for our next campaign, and hopefully showing you some options that are out there for your own games. Welcome to the Fireside Stories. Hello, Barbarians, and welcome to our character creation and kind of world intro episode for Numenera. The long-awaited, super dope-looking Numenera. So Jesse in California sent us this book so that we could check out the game. So huge thank you to him. Um, We will be linking his Instagram in the description. He does a lot of awesome yarn craft that's very nerdy, and he takes commissions. So definitely check him out, uh, especially if you like the adventure that we end up doing, because this is all thanks to him. Yeah, I think we're going to legit like this, because I started looking at the book, and I wasn't maybe four pages into this book before I was like, this looks dope as fuck. Word to Jesse. I was really excited. So, Jesse, thanks. You're the man. That was super awesome. I cannot wait to explore this universe. Thank you so much. All right. So, I'm just going to kind of get into, based on the adventure that I selected for us, give you a little bit of background about where you are. I will say, and I've talked to you a little bit about this off mic, but This world will be a little bit familiar because it definitely feels like a fantasy setting, but at the same time, it's going to be very new because it's a fantasy setting with technology, um, with a lot of strange new things and creatures that we've never heard of before. And so we're just going to jump into it. Yeah, sounds good. I think that's the best way to actually get at it. So for your adventure... It's important to know that there is this path through the ninth world, which is where Numenera takes place, and it's called the Wandering Walk. And it's a very difficult path, but the thing about it that makes it special is it touches pretty much every part of the world. It's really too dangerous to be used as a trade route, So instead, it's used by religious or spiritual pilgrims, people looking to test themselves, um, to test their mettle after some sort of tragedy, or gain wealth by exploring an area um, that may not be as easily explored by others. And so the people who walk this path are called peregrines, like the bird. Um, And in the same way, derogatorily, they can be referred to as birds, migratory people. And so you are going to be one of the people on the walk in a specific location. So you're in an area of the walk called the fifth stretch. And it's a long, dry, mountainous expanse that goes from, on the west side, a town called Cillian Basin, And it's a town known for having like pools and hot springs. So it's a pretty popular stop for travelers. And then on the eastern end of the fifth stretch is what's called the Great Slab. And it's this huge flat square of synth and concrete um, that most people kind of detour around because it's this weird old ruin. And to the north of this area of the walk, there is a wild region called the False Woods. False Woods? Yes. Interesting. So this part of the walk that you're on is relatively well documented because it's actually relatively populated. There are small villages that dot this area of the walk. So it's not quite as wild and desolate as other parts of the walk can be. Now, this area also has a few unique features. Um, It's known for having occasional bioluminescent swarms of these little transparent organisms, and their bodies, after these swarms, stain the sand of the region a blue-green color. And Mm. so travelers will find that their skin and clothes start to get stained over time if they stay in the area for very long. Okay. The color, the pigment in the sand is also harvested for use in dye, food coloring, and various crafts. So 
was like a chitinous exoskeleton uh, kind of ground by erosion yes. into this this powder, powdery basically. pigment that is used in stains clothing and stuff like that. Right. Okay. So like cool. I said, for a character, there could be lots of reasons to be here. It's like, it's why flamingos are pink. Yes. Except these are blue. Yeah, exactly. Right, I'm into it. That's cool. So again, you could be attempting a pilgrimage after some sort of event in your life. You might be there hoping to see a light swarm, maybe for personal or scientific reasons. You could be a skulker looking to gather spoils from dead peregrines along the way. Mm-hmm. You could be lost or on your way somewhere else. You could have heard rumors of treasure in the false woods or rumors of a strange machine in the area. You could be collecting pigment to dye something you're building or creating or any other reason. You could be a humble pigment farmer. A a humble pigment farmer. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. The possibilities are pretty endless. And I feel like any world like this would have a fairly uh, established religion system where there would be all kinds of different religions and sects within those religions and so on. There are. It, you definitely won't see it in the same way like that D&D handles it with mm-hmm. like these big deity groups and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's definitely like the main sort of church body is really a group that studies the Numenera, the technology that surfaces in the world from the ancient civilizations past. And so like if you found a strange device and you didn't know what it did, you would take it to a church and have them identify it for you. Okay. So there is, Mm. there is, it's like churches of technology. Yeah. Okay. It feels a little Warhammer 40k in that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if there may be, it seems to suggest that in that setting, there would be at least one church that was very militant. Yeah. I mean, we're not, I don't, think in this adventure we'll get too far into the churchy stuff just since we're so far off of the main civilized areas Mm -hmm. but such things do exist and there certainly are religious people and spiritual people of various types okay but a lot like our actual history the church is um a place of learning and knowledge. I mean, there's writing and printing presses and so on and so forth you know right like if at some point during, I'm going to use a generic term here. So, you know, sorry, any history majors out there who might get thoroughly offended here in a minute. But like during the dark ages, if you like found a, I don't know, a book or a page with some writing on it, you might take it to your local, you know, church to see, you know, what the deal is with right. it. So same thing with technology here. You find a weird glowy whatever and you're like, oh, snap. I better tell the local abbot or what have you. Or less like I better tell them and more, you know where you could go to learn more about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. All right. So I don't know if you're in chat right now, but I did put up a picture for you in the dungeon text. So what I sent you is probably not super helpful, but this is a very big map that kind of shows the main area of the known world. Now I'm going to put another one in the channel where I have very helpfully <laughs> circled the region that we're going to be working in on that big map. So it's right there, a little spot. It's right outside an area called the Tremble Pass. Mm. And right at the end of that pass, like just east of the mountain range is where that town I was telling you about Cillian Basin is. And then the Great Slab is that big gray rectangle to the northeast. Yeah, I see the great slab. So we're um, working in the area really just around Cillian Basin. So that first western part of the fifth stretch of the Wandering Walk. Okay. We're just going to jump into character creation, take a look at the options, and you can kind of feel out who this wandering character may be. So in Numenera, you make a character based on a sentence. It's, I am a adjective, noun, who, verbs. Um, And there are words for all of these things. The first one that we're going to worry about, though, is your type, which is your noun. 
Yeah, and there okay. are only three types, which is sort of like a class in the game. There are glaives, who are usually skilled with weapons or a martial art of some kind. Mm -hmm. They're usually either strong or fast or sometimes both. Um, and so you're going to see that their stats, and we'll talk about stats here in a second, lean toward the physical. You have nanos who master the mysteries of the past to a, de a degree that looks like magic or miracles to normal people. Um, and depending on the character, they may think of it in a religious or magical or sciencey way. Um, but they tend to skew towards the intellect side. And then jacks are usually your intrepid explorer and adventurer type who can do a little bit of everything. And they start with balanced stats. So not super high in any one thing, kind of even across the board. All right. So what we're going to do is give you a chance to sort of look through the types um, because they are a little bit different. But before we do that, I will talk about the stats actually just a bit. So there are only three, unlike most role-playing systems. Might is how strong and durable you are. So that's going to be things in other games that might be called strength, endurance, constitution, hardiness, physical prowess. And that's what you use for like forcing doors open, walking for days without food, resisting disease, and it determines your health, your physical health. Your speed stat is how fast and coordinated you are. So that's going to be your quickness, movement, dexterity, and reflexes. And you're going to use that for dodging, sneaking, throwing, being accurate at a distance, and moving a distance in a single round. Intellect, your last stat pool, will be how smart, knowledgeable, and likable you are. So it's going to be things like intelligence, wisdom, charisma, education, reasoning, wit, willpower, and charm. And you'll use it for solving puzzles, remembering things, telling good lies, using your mental powers, and communicating effectively. So when we talk about your stats, your stats have pools, which is a number of points that are dedicated to that thing. A typical average stat is somewhere between 9 and 12. You can temporarily lose points from a pool, either because something attacks you and affects that pool, or because you choose to spend those points to be more successful in an action. And that's called using effort when you spend points on purpose. So everything is based around these pools as far as your control of being successful in the game. Okay? All right. So keeping that in mind, we'll pause briefly, let you look through the three different types, Glaive, Nano, and Jack, and uh, you can kind of decide which one looks fun. Sounds good. All right, cool. All right, so which one is looking good to you? So having weighed them all heavily, I had some initial thoughts. And the Nano was really appealing after maybe I'd played a game or two in this system. Okay. Like when I really know what's going on. And it reminded me a lot of uh, the Scion in older editions of Dungeons & Dragons, where you needed to have a nuanced feel for how the world works so that you could effectively play a character to their full potential in that class. So it was attractive, but I kind of strayed away from that for a first foray into it. Okay. The Jack was really appealing because they were they, they were kind of in my wheelhouse in terms of uh, I got a very rogue kind of feeling from them. So um, I was really leaning uh, Jack, especially because I'm kind of thinking of um, like kind of a bow based character. 
Okay. For this uh, for this game. Sure. But all of that said, I think the glaive is really gonna fit what I have in mind for a character here. Okay. So glaives are great, and especially even if you wanted to go for a bow, um, they tend to be good with weaponry, which includes the ranged weaponry. So it would not be out of place to have a ranged glaive if you wanted to go that route. Now, you'll notice on um, a couple glaive type section, there is a section that says glaive connection, Mm -hmm. and there's a table of 20 different things. Okay, yeah. So these are background points that are specific to the glaive. And so you can roll a random one. You can choose one from the list or taking a look through it and with the ideas you already have in mind, you could make your own using them as a guide for the sort of thing it's looking for. Okay. And so the idea is your glaive self this is how you connect to the rest of the world because you are a glaive. So it's going to be specific to that sort of background. So you've had a chance to look at the different character connections for glaives. Which one is kind of resonating with your ideas for the character so far? So we're going to do a combination of number two and number six. And if you're not looking at this page of the book, that might not make a whole lot of sense to you. So number two is you were the personal guard of a wealthy merchant who accused you of theft. You left her service in disgrace. And I would change that. So I'm kind of using this as inspiration as opposed to like, pulling from it directly right but it's the personal guard of a member of a nobility okay and you left her service in disgrace and number six which is you have no formal training your abilities come to you naturally or unnaturally and it's not entirely true that my character has no training because to be a personal guard of nobility of course you have some training you probably have a lot of training It's just, it's always come so easily to this character. It's in, in his DNA that he is just, he just takes to it like a duck to water. So there's a little bit of number six in there. And while he has lots of formal training, it's just really, really in him to do this sort of work. All right. So we're going to fill out two things on your character sheet. On the front section has your sentence. Mm -hmm. You've just chosen the second blank. You are a blank glaive who blanks. Gotcha. Okay. Now, the the sample sentence that they give you in the book is a little bit different from what's on the front of the character sheet. Okay. um, It has name is a descriptor type who blank focus. We chose your type. So it's a little bit different. Just... Good to know. Yeah, it's just weird to say that I am a descriptor type who foci. Yeah, that does sound a little cumbersome. <laughs> but we've chosen your type. And then, because the for those of you who haven't seen it, the default character sheets for Numenera are a little like trifold brochure when you print them out <laughs> and fold them. Um, so one of your bigger panels on the outside is says background and that's where you're going to put kind of your first little summary sentence about being leaving in disgrace. Mm. So you have that for your reference. Yeah. Got it. We are going to take a look at the descriptors. Now your descriptor is an adjective Um, It's things like charming, clever, graceful, mystical, stealthy, strong, tough. Um, And there's a list of them, of the default descriptors in the core rulebook. And I just want you to kind of look through those and pick one that seems to fit your character. 
The thing that's interesting about descriptors is they can change your stat pools and they can give you extra abilities or sometimes extra things. Um, but the main idea is to pick a word that seems to sort of fit with what you're thinking for this character. Okay. All right. So I'll give you a second. Sounds good. Okay, so I, I didn't really get too deep on this list because they're listed alphabetically. I hit clever and I kind of stopped there. I'm going to have to admit. Honestly, for what you've been talking about with your characters so far, I think that's a good way to go. Also, for descriptors compared to the foci, there aren't as many of them. So it's not a super long list to choose from anyway in the default core book. There are other books that give you more options. Um, and there are guidelines for making your own, but since we're doing a fireside, I thought we'd keep it pretty simple. Um, but why are you thinking clever might make the best match for your character? So as a personal guard to a member of the nobility, what jumped out at me about clever was one skill in particular that says you're trained in all tasks involving identifying or assessing danger, lies, quality, importance, function, or power. This training kind of fed into his natural predisposition to be skeptical and cynical very much. I don't trust you. I need to verify that. And so he's very narrow of eye and keen of observation in terms of this narrow band of intellectual. Uh, intellectual function. All right. That sounds awesome. So we're going to come back to these to fill in some of your skills later. But for now, all I need you to do is fill in your descriptor blank, which is the first blank. You are now a clever glaive. So what's interesting is the paragraph right under the skill that I read is an inability that clever grants you. Yes. That states, you were never good at studying or retaining trivial knowledge. The difficulty of any task involving lore, knowledge, or understanding is increased by one step. And that fits perfectly with what I'm going for with this here. Because, again, highly specialized. Not a stupid person necessarily. Just so focused on what they're into that everything else sort of blurs into the background. Yeah, and I think... Um I mean, some people who listen to us may not know this yet because we haven't gotten into a lot of White Wolf. We are both big fans of flaws. Oh, yeah. And characters. Huge. And the nice thing about Numenera is they have these inabilities, which act as the unskill, which is basically where a skill automatically lowers the difficulty of something without you spending anything. An inability automatically raises the difficulty of something because it's something your character is not good at. And I got to say, I just I just stumbled on this, like literally right now as we speak. And that is fantastic. And that is so well written, in my opinion. Shout out to um, Monty. <laughs> because... I like how you're on a first name basis. I know, right? <laughs> me, me and Monty, we're bros. We bro down on the weekends. <laughs> crush some brews. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it... It's cool because I feel like a lot of people can identify with that. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I can strongly identify with that. Like being in school, like how does this relate to what I'm into? And it's just a struggle to pay attention and even stay awake. You're just like, oh God, I would just rather be doing like something that lights me up inside. What? That, so well done. The next thing we're going to choose to kind of finish up your sentence is going to be your focus. And the focus is on book page 52. And what you're going to notice is this list is a lot longer than the descriptor list. It's about twice as long. And it's everything from things like bears a halo of fire to rides the lightning, talks with machines. So your focus is a unique trait for your character. Um, and if you're in a group with multiple player characters, one of the goals is usually to make sure everyone has a different focus so they're each special in a different way. Um, but the idea is that they can be, usually there's something that feel a little either 
ultra skilled or Numenera, like that techno magic sort of based or something to do with the way the planes interact and things like that. Um, so they're all really different and they all grant you crazy abilities that add on to everything else you've already done. So fun fact, as a character perspective, I'm just looking at the front of this trifold um, brochure. It says Numenera at the top and it just has name is a descriptor type who focus. Yes. Right? And you see that at first and you're like, okay, this is a very mad libby. I don't know how I feel about this, whatever. You crack open the book, you start reading it. You're like, okay, this looks fucking awesome. And then you get a few more pages in and you're like, yeah, this is fantastic. It has that Arthur C. Clarke quote at the beginning. This is great. I'm into it. You start reading the types and you're like, that's even cooler. You get down to focus. This adds so much flavor. This right here, I think, is the flavor area of it. Because like you said, it's giving you crazy bananas powers and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> but it also is rounding out your sentence. Because right now, I don't have a name, and that's okay. I'll come up with that later. But I have is a clever glaive who, and I get to choose from things like, right off the bat, bears a halo of fire. And down later, there's fuses flesh and steel, wears a sheen of ice, wields power with precision. I mean, there's fights with panache. And there's other stuff like just like one word, super mundane, murders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that says I mean? a lot about a character. <laughs> right. Exactly. That one word, it's got gravitas in, in its company here. You know what I mean? Because you have other stuff that's like... You know, like I said, fuses flesh with steel. There's a lot to unpack there. And then you come out with something like murders. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, okay, this guy just goes around and just has to stab a lot of people. I mean, it, it could be that, you know, I don't know. There's also works miracles. And there's a lot to choose from. There's just so much flavor packed in here. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, so definitely out of everything character creation-wise, Looking through and choosing a focus will probably take the longest, especially since it's your first time in here. And then not to overwhelm you if we ever come back to this, but the uh, there are extra books that give more of these. So there's like a ton to choose from. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And there hopefully is a way that you can create your own because, you know, I'm all about making up my own shit, especially in these games. Yes. I so, do that in every game we play. Yeah. It helps that I know the, the DM in a lot of cases. Yes. So <laughs> that's, that's nice. true. But um, but yeah, there's always, I mean, I know for descriptors, they have guidelines in the book that are like, here's how to make your own based on these and stuff like that. So that's, um, it's very open-ended, but these are definitely good ones to start with just because they do give you such specific abilities. And then keep in mind, we're starting at tier one, but you can level over the course of a fireside. So it's right. possible. I mean, I have to just, kind of focus on tier one so there's a lot of scrolling involved yes okay fair enough okay so i've got a background and a focus on lock and i think the two of them really mesh pretty well okay so I was reading through the uh, origin um, table, and a lot of them looked really cool, especially Confluence. Why that didn't occur to me to use uh, when dealing with a table in other systems, I'll never know, but that's genius. <laughs> Roll twice and combine the results. That's a great way to use a table in any system, let alone this one. Like If your GM will allow it and you're playing D&D &D or whatever, you're like can I roll twice and combine the, and like be locked into combining the results? Cause that is basically a writing prompt right there. That's amazing. Um, but I didn't go with that one. I went with an encounter with the iron wind. Okay. So for those who are not familiar, the iron wind is a phenomena in Numenera in the ninth world. Um, where the this basically a cloud of nano machines that's carried on the wind. They don't propel themselves in any way. Um, kind of can wash over the landscape, and when they do, they kind of deconstruct and reconstruct things 
in their path in a way that seems random and incomprehensible. Um, trees can be reduced to sludge, pools can be turned into something weirdly mechanical, and humanoids and creatures that are caught in it can either be rearranged in a way that leads to their death, sometimes long and painful, sometimes quite short, or otherwise reformed in such a way that they're no longer exactly as they once were. And that fits in perfectly with the focus that I choose, that I chose. And if there's anyone who wants to hazard a guess, anybody, anybody, it fuses flesh and steel, which to me fits so perfectly with an encounter with the iron wind. But basically, after or during the my encounter with the iron wind, some of my organic parts were replaced with artificial components. And in this character's case, they're mostly subdermal, but they show up in glowing like um, ley lines almost under the skin across the whole body. Oh, okay. And also show up, you know, most pronouncedly, if that's even a word, uh, in the eyes and along the scalp. They're, they're brighter in some areas, darker in others, but he just has these tribal lines all over his whole body that glow. And not all the time, you know. They'll activate during times of stress or maybe when he's uh, doing something... Uh, very demanding. Using effort. Right. They'll kind of charge up, you know. Okay. Or during times of stress, maybe. Sure. Stuff like that. And I'd like to think that this encounter with the Iron Wind happened after leaving the service of the noble that they that, that he served. No, that actually works really well for the storyline that we're doing. So that'll work. Yeah. It was kind of in the interim. Yeah. No, yeah. that 100% works. What you will notice when we get to it is the Iron Wind is mentioned very early in the adventure. Oh, that's cool. So I might not start with this background or focus. Sorry. No, no, you would because it doesn't, it won't come up. Uh, it, I don't think it'll come up as something you deal with directly, but it is part of the rumors that are going around of things happening in the area. Okay. So part of the description of this focus is you probably wear a cloak with a hood or something similar to hide your artificial parts from those who would persecute you. And those who would persecute you are people in most societies are afraid of someone who is revealed to have mechanical parts Yeah. in this setting. Yeah. Technology, although it's around, we don't really know very much about it. People use it based on their discoveries of what it might be useful for. Um, but especially someone kind of losing themselves to this Numenera, to this strange technology, is definitely something to be feared. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, especially, like, if this character gets too agitated, um, it, it will become really apparent that, that there's something uh, cybernetic going on here. So... Um, they're in danger of hulking out. So they don't necessarily wear the cloak or the hood or whatever, you know, they just try to, you know, don't make me angry. Right. The problem is they're very, um, rage fueled. They're really angry most of the time. They're kind of close to the surface. Right. All the time. Yeah. Exactly. They're really hot headed. Doesn't take a lot to set them off. And if they, I mean, even just fighting and stuff like that. You know, if if this character starts scrapping, there's going to be some glowy shit going on. You know, it's, it's almost like along the lines of muscles flexing under moderate strain, you see the muscles kind of bulge under someone's skin, just a normal person. You see that in this character as well, but also those lines of glow, you know, like almost, you know... Uh, nanofiber type of wires just below the skin that are glowing with the energy of enhancing their capabilities. All right. So your character is a clever glaive who fuses flesh and steel. This is true. 
All right. So let's start doing some of the crunchy number stuff. Crunchy number stuff. So as a glaive, and this is where using pencil is helpful because we're going to be erasing and fixing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, your starting stat pools are 11 might, 10 speed, and 7 intellect. Okay. And then you have six more points that you'll be able to assign as you'd like. Okay. Now, I have opened my trifold pamphlet, and I'm learning about our Lord and Savior, Numenera. And what I see, having opened this pamphlet, is uh, might, speed, and intellect sort of table. Right. I see tier, effort, and XP above that, but I figure that'll come a little bit later. Right. Um, it says pool, and it has a place to write something, and then a backslash and a place to write something. So what we're working so, with right now are your maximums, which are going to be the first sort of... The first little... Yeah. B- before the backslash. Well... I mean, I don't think it really matters as long as you know. One of them should be your current number, and one of them should be your max. Okay. So Got put it. it wherever makes sense for you. Okay. Hmm. I think I'm going to put the max on the right, because that sort of says to me I have N out of max. Right. Right? Yeah. So, and we're going to be adding to this and stuff like that. So we're right. just starting with the base, Yeah. which was uh, 11, 10, and 7. Yeah, 11, 10, 7. Cool. Now, do you want to see how those stats change because of your other stuff before you spend your points, or do you want to spend your points? I would like to see how they change first and then decide how to spend from there. You are clever, which adds two to your intellect pool. Okay, so I'm taking intellect from seven to nine. And now it's in the average range Mm -hmm. for a tier one character, so that's good. You have an enhanced body, so you get three to your might and three to your speed. So I take might up to 14 and speed up to 13. Yes. And then you have six points to spend as you will in those pools. I think I'm going to do two and four. So that's going to take us to 16 might, 17 speed. And nine intellect. And nine intellect. Okay. Yeah, I'm leaving intellect at nine. Okay. No, that that sounds fine. So you are tier one, if you want to fill that in. Tier one. So since you're a starting character, I feel like one is fine. Yeah. All right. So let's look at your other stiff. You have a might edge of one, a speed edge of one, and an intellect edge of zero. Okay. So an edge is basically a way of talking about how effectively you can use those skills. So when you spend effort, which means spend your own points to lower the difficulty of something, the cost is reduced by your edge because you're just better at using those skills. So it's not as hard for you to do that. Okay. So it's a discount basically. So if something I want to do has a difficulty of seven. Right. You um, spend three points to lower it by one. Okay. All right. So as a difficulty of seven. Right. Multiply that by three. I need to roll 21 or better. Right. On a D20. Yes. To succeed. Impossible. Right. Um, I can spend three might, let's say. Sure. Um, because it's a might type of deal that I'm trying to do to lower it by one, making it at least possible. Right. Okay. Now, there are other things that lower that as well. And in this case, since you have an edge of one, you would only spend two points to lower it by one. To lower it by one. Okay. Because you have that discount because Mm -hmm. you're better at using those skills. I see. Okay. Yeah. Now now I'm tracking. All right. Cool. Cool. Very cool. All right. Let's see. Things that you might need to know, and I don't know if you need more paper or not or if you have a spot for it. Um, You can have two ciphers at a time. I do have a section called ciphers, and there's a little gear-shaped box called limit. Yeah, so, I'm so guessing that's two. two. Okay. Um, you can wear armor for long periods of time without tiring and can compensate your reactions and everything. Let's see. It says you can wear any kind of armor, and you reduce the might cost per hour for wearing armor. 
uh, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, basically you don't have armor limitations because you're a, f- a fighter type. You're practiced mm-hmm. with all weapons, so you can use any weapon. You are trained in your choice of one of the following. So this is where we get into skills, because I think you have a skills section, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So you may choose one. Balancing, climbing, jumping, or swimming. Okay. I'm going to go with balancing. Okay. And if you think of one that's kind of along the same lines, but you want to replace it, that's okay too. All right. All right. Starting equipment. We're going to do equipment at the end. I think we're going to see what else we add on first. All right. So clever. Uh, We're adding more skills now. Mm-hmm. So your next one is lies and trickery. Okay. So I get that one. Yep. Okay. You just get it. Okay. Defense against mental effects. And then the last one, I don't know how you want to word it, but it was your favorite one. Uh, you're trained in all tasks involving identifying or assessing danger, lies, quality, importance, function, or power. So I don't know if you want to call that like critical evaluation or whatever. I'm calling that danger sense. Sure. I so think that, that's fair. Yeah. That incorporates yeah. threats, lies, deceit. I mean, you know, anytime anyone's trying to pull one over on you or, or ambush you or similar, right. it all falls under the auspice of recognizing that situation. Right. No, I think that's fair. Somewhere where it makes sense for you to note it, mm-hmm. you do need to note you have an inability involving basically like academia. So lore, knowledge, or understanding. Okay. I just kind of noted it in the skills pool with a minus. Okay. I think that's fair. Again, it's all about you being able to identify it. Right. So just so you know, if you have a skill that applies to a task, it automatically drops the difficulty by one without you spending any of your pool. Okay. If you have an inability that applies to a task, it automatically raises the difficulty by one. Got it. Okay. All right. And that's that one. So let's look at focus, see if that adds anything else for you. Nope. It's going to add some equipment, but that's it. So let's go ahead and move on to equipment and possessions. Equipmunk. Equipmunk. All right. You, as a tier one, will have clothing. I mean, obviously, you're not naked. Two weapons or a weapon and a shield. So you'll be able to go through the weapon list. I know you've already looked at it a little bit. Either light or medium armor of some kind, your choice. An explorer's pack. I'm going to give you two ciphers and one oddity, but I get to roll those, not you, because they're always random. And you love rolling on I random I freaking tables. love rolling. All right. And and I have to get, get all my rolls out because I don't get to roll in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You have to. So that, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah. It might be, I don't know if you want to shine a spotlight on that for just a second. So one of the unique traits of Numenera to allow for a GM to focus on developing story and creating dynamic encounters and things like that is that the GM doesn't typically roll dice. Um, I mean, I might for rolling for random loot and stuff like that, but I don't roll dice in tasks or combat or anything like that. So if a character is doing something, there's a difficulty and the player rolls dice against that difficulty. And if they're being attacked by something or something is resisting them, the player rolls dice against the difficulty of that thing. Um, And so it's always players rolling dice. So they're often more engaged in what's going on. And the GM focuses on what they need to do to make it a fun game. And it's also interesting to note that that is a a facet of the cipher system, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So if you see cipher as the underlying system of a game that you're looking at, that will probably apply as well. Yeah. So, so like, I'm really looking forward to playing the strange, which is actually the cipher 
game that I really want to play. But we're starting with Numenera, which is fine, and it's good. Yeah, it seems like a pretty cool system so far. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I can do, because I can't fudge rolls either, which is something if you've never GM'd before and you're only a player, your DM probably fudges some rolls to make the game more fun for you or to be a butthole, but usually you do it to make things fun. You can't do that in this game because the player's rolling all the dice. So instead you have something called the GM intrusion where you can throw a wrench in the works. But when you do that as a GM, you grant XP for the intrusion. So whoever is affected by the intrusion, which in this case is always going to be you, you would get XP every time I do that. All right, you are going to have five shins to start, which are your coins. Five shins. Yep. You're going to get some more too, probably. So, all right. Let's see what your descriptor adds. You have 10 more shins from your descriptor. Okay. Your focus, you have a bag of light tools and a variety of parts to repair yourself. Ooh. So I have a, a bag, not like a case, <laughs> but a straight up bag. Well, I mean, you can flavor it however you like, but the idea is it's not like a large thing. You have a good handful of stuff for repair because since you fuse flesh and steel, traditional healing skills don't work very well on you and you have to do mechanical repair to regain your lost stat pools all the way. Pool case with spare parts. Yep. All right. So I am going to direct your attention to weapons and armor because you need to pick those out. And it does note if you choose a ranged weapon, you automatically start with 12 ammunition for that weapon. Okay. We'll talk about that. Um, but the weapons table and the armor table is on page 79 is where it starts. Okay. And while you are doing that, I will get your ciphers and oddity. So we've had some time to put some things together. You've picked your attacks and your equipment, and I have ruled for your ciphers and your oddity, and I'm very excited to share those with you. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that that you would be, so that I heard a lot of squee type noises from over there. I believe what? I heard of, I want this in real life. I do. <laughs> I want it in real life. All <laughs> so right. So that's pretty cool. So for your attacks, you chose pierce, which is a ranged attack that allows you to do extra damage. Mm -hmm. So pierce costs you one speed point to activate. Okay. And then your other one is no need for weapons. And this one just changes your unarmed attacks into medium weapon damage. Okay. All right. Now, what did you choose for your equipment? So for my equipment, I chose a bow and a knife. Now, I'd like to point out that this isn't necessarily a point of uh, functionality necessarily, but a knife can be anything from a butter knife to a small skinning knife, to, you know... A cheese knife? A cheese knife. One of those funky-shaped knives with a fork on the end that, yeah. like, you use for tomatoes, or maybe that is a cheese knife. <laughs> you know? I don't know. It could be a paring knife. It could be a bread knife. There, there's, all, there's, a, there's a million different kinds of knives. And this kind of knife is almost like a... Um, Wakasashi. It's a it's a long knife with okay. a strong, nimble, single edged, but very. I'm going for length and deftness, so it's slender and long, but also has a chisel point that makes it very strong for piercing. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not changing anything in terms of the mechanics. Does the same kind of damage. It's still a light weapon. Um, all that kind of stuff, but 
that's just what I'm thinking of in terms of details for this okay. knife. Sure. Now, the bow is a medium weapon, and I wrote it down as cyber bow, just to indicate that it's not like, you know, a stick with a string. You right. Know? It's, it's a techie kind of, you know, sci-fi tech bow type of, you know, cyber bow. There's cams and gears and all kinds of strings and stuff like that. I won't say there's lasers and sights and shit like that on it and everything. It's still just a, a bare bow, but it's got some, you know, uh, augments and so on going on with it as opposed to your primitive longbow stick and string type of thing. Right. And so you'd have 12 synth arrows then. Right. Yeah. Normally I would have 12 synth arrows. Uh-oh. Uh, but it's been a long road. This guy has been on the lamb for quite some time, had an encounter with the iron wind, um, has had to cobble together some light armor from leather, furs, and skins and scraps. Okay. Looking a little worse for wear. Gotcha. And at this point, only has four arrows left. Oh, you're gimping yourself on this one. Not necessarily. It's just these arrows are precious. And they need to be reclaimed if used. And also have to be used Mm, judiciously. Gotcha. Not just going to be sending arrows hither and thither and for no reason. No Legolas in right. this. And also, you got to make every shot, shot count. So if he's going to send an arrow, it's going to be like timing your breathing, you know, releasing just perfectly smoothly at the trough of your breath, <laughs> like zooming in, aiming at the smallest point possible, just really, really invested in these are the only four arrows I have left and my life might depend on it. So it's kind right. of important. Might be some effort involved in shooting an arrow is all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Anything else? That's it. All right. So let me go ahead and give you your ciphers first, and we'll do your oddity last, because your ciphers are the more useful things. Okay. Oddities are kind of the weird stuff that you can use to trade, or really what you're encouraged to do is figure out a way it might be useful in certain situations. Hmm. Okay? Okay. So the first cipher you have is antivenom. Your antivenom level is 1d6 plus 2. And um, when used, it renders the user immune to poisons of that level or lower. All right. Okay. Your next one is a shock nodule. All right. So a shock nodule is going to modify one of your weapons. It has to be on a melee weapon. So this is going to be your knife. Its level is 1d6. And for the next 28 hours after affixing it to the weapon, each time it strikes a solid creature or object, it generates a burst of electricity, which inflicts one additional point of damage. Got it. Okay. So those are your ciphers. And again, you can only safely hold two at a time. You can try to hold more. But there are potential consequences that I will roll on a table to determine. <laughs> and you won't know what they are until they happen. Well, you know me. In all of these games, I'm always like, bring it. I ain't scared of shit. I'm going to jump off that cliff. Let's see what happens. No, but the idea <laughs> is you're encouraged to use these because they're considered kind of disposables. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I'm you're... looking forward to losing these. I See, I don't want to fall into the classic pitfall. Um, I, I think of it as the Skyrim pitfall, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, oh, I might need this potion later. Better hang on to it. And might you get need to this end... flower. Yeah. You get the end game and you have like hundreds and hundreds of inventory slots lots just full of full stacks of like potions and potions and all sorts of other bullshit it's like just use your shit you'll get more you're playing resident evil shoot your bullets you're gonna run out you won't have any but that's kind of the point you know just use it it's it's all good that's that's how you make the awesome happen despite your wandering your character does have one oddity left in his possession all right one thing i managed to hang on to despite all of my tribulations and you're gonna know right away why i want this Okay. 
It is a blanket that makes a pleasant, soft humming noise <laughs> while covering a living creature. Okay. <laughs> a nappy blanket. I have, it's a nappy blanket. I kept my nappy blanket. Yeah. And not nappy like it has little, like, you know, nodules. No, it's for nappy like, time. Up. It's, it's because it's, yeah, it comforts you while you take a nap. Yeah. All right. So it makes a pleasant, soft humming noise only while covering a living creature. Okay. Um, hmm. What's that, like, called where something, like, hums to you while you're trying to go to sleep? Like, usually it's like a nursery rhyme or so, a lullaby. Okay. It's a lullaby blanket. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So your character is a clever glaive who fuses flesh and steel. Mm-hmm. You are very skilled in fighting with ranged weapons and with your fists and feet when necessary. You are low on ammunition for your cyber bow. Right. But you do have a couple of ciphers in your pocket in case you need them. And you can always get a good night's rest with your odd blanket. It's my only source of comfort in an otherwise devastatingly cruel world. What most people don't know who might encounter you on the road is that you secretly have been changed by the iron wind and now carry some less natural, maybe non-organic bits and bobs that have changed your physiology somewhat. Mm -hmm. And just as a teaser for our patrons who hear this episode before the adventure even starts, and for you, as a heads up, I'm going to give you just the first little part of the intro to the adventure. Ooh. You have stopped at one of the mouth cairns tucked in the shadow of a hulking metallic structure along the wander. These shallow, circular hollows, each marked by a short, round wall built from the jaws of dead peregrines, are considered among the few safe places on this stretch of the route. Those who enter a bone circle must give some promise of their good intentions to the slain, lest the dead mouths wake and cast their retribution. Even those who don't believe in the so-called slay tongue may find themselves at the end of a weapon if they try to break the peace here. Still, you have heard the rumor that something's attacking even those sequestered in the cairns, travel through the areas more dangerous than usual, and others camping in and around the mouth cairns have heard similar stories. And that's where we will leave it off for today. There's a wall made out of jawbones. Yeah. Just like to point that out and it's specifically the jawbones of people traveling this road yeah yeah oh the yeah. peregrines yeah got it <laughs> not lost on me that's that's actually super awesome i dig it all right so until next time everyone spend your rage wisely or don't you might get augmented by the iron wind all right. Thank you, patrons. If you're listening to this in advance, we hope this has made you excited to hear the next part of the Numenera Fireside story. Thank you again to Jesse in California. His Instagram handle is in the description, but if you'd like to search for it, it's also at GranPays, so G-R-A-N-P-A-Y-S. And he does, like I said, lots of fun, cool, nerdy yarn craft. Yeah, go get yourself something out of yarn, like a yarn Pikachu, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Could be rad. Um, and if you're not a patron and you're listening to this after the Fireside story already has concluded, remember, you could have gotten all this interesting insight into the character at the beginning by supporting us on patreon.com slash justbarbarianthings. And as always, this is Rainy. You can find me at barbarianrainy on Twitter. I'm Santiago. You can hook up with me on Twitter at Rangu or on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rangu. It's at Rangu Geary, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but those are also in the description. So feel free to check us out in the other places we live on the internets. Yeah, I don't really fuck with Twitter if that's not obvious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Till next time, everyone.
It is a blanket that makes a pleasant, soft humming noise <laughs> while covering a living creature. Okay. <laughs> a nappy blanket. I have, it's a nappy blanket. <laughs> I kept my nappy blanket. Yeah. Pulled no, it's for nappy like, time. Nap? It's, it's because it's, yeah, it comforts you while you take a nap. It's my only source of comfort in an otherwise devastatingly cruel world. You're not helping Maisie. <laughs>